You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin here today by calling in the spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine, to those people who lived well and died well and who bring all that is good and true and beautiful into our lives. These ancestral helping spirits who help us to learn from their mistakes, to draw strength from their wisdom and the places in life that they gained mastery. And we ask these ancestral helping spirits to be with us so that we can move forward in a way that doesn't propagate the old problems but actually learns from them that we might grow and change and innovate and become the medicine for our time. And we ask these ancestral helping spirits to take their place behind us and to help us, uh, to help us to do what the living were born to do and help us to do so in a way that is good for those who are coming. So with this rich abundance of human ancestors gathering around us in great gratitude, we reach through the humans and out into the natural world all the way out to all the other life forms who are also the dreamers that are part of this great dream, who dreamt of a future so that we are all here together. And I call out to those elemental ancestors and those natural ancestors, those beings of the natural world to be with us and help us, the humans, return to our own authenticity, to our own true nature and to our own elemental nature that we might be simpler here in the world and better able to do what it is that we've come here to do. So with this rich abundance and diversity of ancestors gathered around us, let us trust their presence and focus within and draw our awareness from wherever it might be at this moment into our heads, draw it from our heads down into our hearts and from our hearts down into our bellies. And from our bellies, let's take a moment and reach to the earth itself, the planet, to the being. And touch her and give thanks. Give thanks for the journey of your life that has brought you to this moment. For all that is in this moment and all that will be. We give thanks for this day, whatever it holds, the challenges and the gifts. For, of course, these things are often the same. We give thanks for every crisis that we can turn into a blessing and to remember there is not a blessing that can't become a crisis. So we thank the energy of the earth for this transformative and changing reality that is human existence on this planet. We give thanks for the diversity, for the beauty, for the love, for the wonder. And we give thanks for this miracle of life. And with this gratitude in our hearts, we take this moment to disengage from the contemporary demands and be in gratitude and reach down through all the layers of the earth to the very center of the earth, to this essence energy that is profoundly not human, profoundly not emotional, but is this essence of the earth energy that restores and sustains and rejuvenates that inspires the bulbs in the northern hemisphere to begin to blossom as they are here uh, in my world. We give thanks to this, this fundamental energy of the earth that is the energy that is before fertility, the energy that is before abundance, the energy that is the thing that allows us to restore and renew and grow. So we give thanks to this energy and draw it up, draw it up through all the layers of the earth into our body, And as we draw it into our body, let us ask the energy of the earth to help us to understand uh, deeper and deeper in each day how to use this energy to ground ourselves to the earth, to know where we stand, to know why we are here, what, what is worth really working for in our life. 
And through that, to create a sense for ourselves of home, a sense of that hearth, a sense of belonging and interconnection with others. And to do this in a way that opens our life to those different from us and welcomes them to our table. And we do so because we understand that it is only in this way that we will each become, truly become, the full and rich and diverse people that we have come here to be. And we ask the energy of the earth to help us to connect with ourselves, help us to connect with others, to connect with the earth, with the invisible world, with nature, help us to connect and interconnect and ultimately to have moments of reaching into the great oneness of things and to know it as a true reality, to toss off this lie of separation and to be in that oneness. And we give thanks to the energy of the earth for reminding us in every ecosystem on the planet again and again and again that oneness exists and it works. And so with the energy of the earth within us, let us draw it up, nourishing our bellies, nourishing our heart, nourishing our mind, and rise up with this energy into the sky and whatever weather it holds for you today, out through the atmosphere and all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And as we reach that energy by whatever name you call it, just reach, reach it, call out to it, see yourself in it and it in you. And we draw this energy down, this, this sky energy, and we draw into ourselves and into these proceedings all the wisdom of the cosmos. We draw in the essence energy of blessing, of protection, of generosity and devotion, of commitment to our gifts inspiration and illumination and excellence, the desire to truly do what we have come here to do to the best of our ability and to do so with joy, to do so with laughter. We call in as we draw this energy in the energy of play. And so with the energy from above coming down from our head to our heart to our belly and down to the center of the earth, we let the energy of the earth and sky come together, these two great lovers These legendary lovers, it's from this energy that all things are born here in our existence as we understand life. So we give great thanks. And with this big love within us, let it awaken the spirit of our own heart, our own personal heart. And let it awaken and become the great crucible of transformation that it uniquely is. And we call up the fiery passions of our belly that burn only for why we are here. And we call down the crystal clarity of the mind that helps us understand how we might do these things in our time in a good way. And we let these two energies dance in this dynamic dualism that they are and very very different in nature different in quality and yet together in their dance they give birth to that third and most sacred thing which is your memory of why you are here and may you find in that beautiful human heart the courage to do something in this day large or small to bring your gifts your own unique gifts out in the world And so we give great thanks to all of these energies that gather around us and hold us here today and give great gratitude to the people that help me to keep the show available to all of you. And so I give thanks to Shaw and Kayleen and David, Molly and Sarah and all the other listeners who've been able to donate financially. Um, This helps me to keep the show on the air. And... Those who donate, donate simply because the show moves them in some way. It moves them in the heart. And that I'm asking all of us to learn to do, myself included, to learn to do this most shamanic of actions. At the core of shamanism is allowing the motivation of your heart to move you into action in the world as an act of power. And so... If you, if you are able, if you are moved by the show and you are able to donate financially, we, we are happy to receive any amount, large or small. As I often say, I don't necessarily expect anyone to donate $5,000, but asking 1,000 people around the world to donate $5 is pretty reasonable. And so I ask you, those who can... Um, to donate, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com. Some of you don't know the show has its own website. So you go to whyshamanismnow.com, go to the support section, click, donate any amount, large or small. If you're not happy doing that through the internet, please just email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org and I would be happy to give you an actual address for an actual physical check. That is just fine. Thank you all. Um, and I thank all of you who use the teachings who share with me that journey, 
who send me questions. I've got some really great questions waiting to get turned into shows right now. And just gratitude for all the many things you do to share the show with others, to help the show to grow, to help it keep moving around the world, and to help all of us to hopefully use these ideas to wake up and really become these new people that will write a truly new story for this new world. We are not here at this time by accident. And so let us um, understand how we can truly do what we've come here to do. And I thank you for helping me to do my little part in the big picture um, to help us make it happen. So today, um, the topic of the show is Visions and Illusions, Authenticity in Shamanism. And it's part one of two-part show just about authenticity in shamanism. What does authenticity really mean? What, what, what is that? What makes someone a truly powerful, um, authentic shaman and another person who may have moved through exactly the same training, a different kind of practitioner? What is authenticity? So we are live today and we will be next week for this um, topic. And you're also welcome to email me questions at christina at lastmasscenter.org. But if you'd like to call in, you can call in at 512-772-1938 or Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site. Um, All of these ways are lovely ways to get your questions um, integrated into the shows. So... Authenticity and shamanism, visions and illusions. So the contemporary mind is frankly filled to overflowing with many, many things, constantly, continuously, um, and most of these things are pretty not shamanic. (laughs) Um, That the contemporary Western trained mind is really not prepared for the authentic shamanic experience. Primarily because the Western uh, state of mind is based on the belief in separation, that we are fundamentally separate from God, and out of that core belief, all these other separations um, become part of how we see the world, and we see all dualism as antagonistic. And so understanding concepts like yin and yang become very challenging for us, these sort of quote-unquote, Eastern philosophies challenge the Western mind because we are uh, bred on a a fundamental lie, but it's treated as the truth, which is the idea of separation. And so consequently, the Western trained mind is really not prepared for authentic shamanic experience, which is rooted always in an understanding that the truth of all things is oneness. That not only is there no separation, but separation isn't even possible. And they don't mean this as a new age, kumbaya, happy idea. They mean it as a tremendously scary, responsibility-based idea that is more akin with understanding what science is beginning to understand about the nature of our reality and how things are literally connected and one and what that means. So regardless of our altered states, whether they're waking or dreaming, deep or light, induced by rhythm or sacred plants, ultimately they have to be made intelligible through the mind. And the accuracy of interpretation of that information found in altered states has less to do with your gift uh, than it does your personal practice of getting yourself and your biases and your projections out of the way. So let me put this another way. People are neurologically designed to enter altered states. That is a physical fact and that people will enter altered states no matter their mental set patterns. What the mental set patterns do, they don't, they don't make you more or less likely to enter altered states. What they do is they alter your perception of what you encounter in the altered state and they entirely shape what you perceive in the altered state. 
And this is not news. I mean, this is all the thing about set and setting from the LSD experiments and this whole time in the sort of beginning of this era we're all living in now. So this is not news. I'm not, I'm not saying anything earth-shattering right now. But that we do need to recognize that this matters deeply. When we're trying to talk about something like accuracy and authenticity, the difference between a vision and simply an illusion in a world called shamanism that is entirely about entering altered states, a, a huge variety of altered states to greater and lesser depths. This matters profoundly. So these mental set patterns alter your perception of what you encounter in your altered states. Um, it makes you experience then so, – so in other words, two people can enter the same type of altered state, be it a journey altered state or an ayahuasca journey or something. So it's basically the same induction, the same induced altered state and yet have profoundly different experiences because of what they bring in with their mind. And so let's face it. That's exactly what is going on in our everyday waking state. Three different people with three different mental set patterns can be involved in exactly the same experience together and will perceive of that experience in three completely different ways. We are never free of this reality. The reality that what, is, what our mind is set up to see is what we see. So they say... Only the prepared mind sees, which is a great um, inspiration for why one should develop a meditative practice to prepare your mind to see accurately. But actually, the truth of it is all minds are prepared to see something, and that's what they see. So at any moment, your mind is prepared to see something. The problem is, what have you prepared it to see? And this is the great difference in a contemporary Western mind person approaching shamanism is you are, we are approaching with this Western mind. Whereas in an in indigenous or traditional shamanic culture, of which there are very few left intact on the planet, I mean, colonization has changed everything, right? but nonetheless, shamanic people, particularly first contact shamanic people, were raised by a culture that was structured around setting people up to fundamentally approach their altered states with the right mental set pattern. That it isn't just about recovering the shamanism of the past or the shamanic teachings of the past. It's about finding a way to recover the values in how those people lived and what would it look like for us today to live in that way. So it, it isn't. I mean, I hope we finally figured out at this stage of understanding shamanism, it isn't just about the shaman being trained. Shamans didn't function in a vacuum. And, and, and the, the capacity for shamans to work has everything to do not only with the mental set patter, patterns that shaman brings, but also the people that the shaman is working with. So just remember... Your mind is always prepared to see something, but what have you prepared it to see? So authenticity in shamanism is more than a set of skills with an academic pedigree or a bloodline or being one of the chosen messengers of Aya. <laughs> authenticity in shamanism requires sacrifice of the self. And I realize there are some teachers, much loved teachers, that say that's not true. And... We'll see. <laughs> I don't know how anyone who has any understanding of the history of shamanism and all that the shamanic people talk about and the incredible capacity of the shamans uh, in first contact people compared to what shamanic practitioners are doing today. I don't know why anyone can say we don't need what these more ancient shamans say they needed. I mean, I think it's obvious that we do, but there's room in my world for a diversity of thought, and it's really fine for other people to not agree with me. Now, for me, though, in my personal experience, I have seen that the only thing 
that gives me any right to speak to you today with any authority, to understand the research I researched, to write the encyclopedia, or to work with spirit and practice and even call myself a shamanic practitioner, is the sacrifice. And the initial sacrifices made were not made willingly. It was forced upon me and a survival-based act. And so I actually believe in the sacrifice because the end result is it made me a better person. I am a better version of myself. And I can see that. It's so drastically better that I can see that. And so I don't have any problem understanding or believing in what the first contact people said when we first contacted them about what made that person the shaman in the community. And it had everything to do, I mean, in other words, what made that person the person we go to for that final decision between visions and illusions. Because everybody in the community is cultivating their capacity for vision and altered states because that's part of what grown-ups do. But the question is, when it comes to interpretation and decisions about how we act and what we do, you know, we look to the shaman as that final deciding factor. What makes that person the authority? The person who is capable of sorting out the distinction between a vision and an illusion. It is that that person has a steady diet, basically, of sacrifice to continue to be the person who has gotten out of their own way. And is able to experience with all of their senses, ordinary and non-ordinary senses, what it is uh, the larger reality. The, the invisible world is trying to communicate with us in our altered states. So we must – now in particular, we must sacrifice this contemporary self and its metal set patterns um, if we have any desire to see shamanically. Because um, until we do that, we can't possibly be accurate for anyone else. So we actually can't offer accuracy to ourselves uh, without that sacrifice either. But we can have our Western set patterns and begin to work with spirit. And spirit can take us on a journey that will help us change those set patterns if we ask for it. So that is a possibility, but we really can't work with authority with others until we've done this because we're not accurate yet. So there are basically today three types of shamanic training programs if we look at it relative to this issue of authenticity in shamanism and, and this, this issue of do we really understand what it takes to discern visions from illusions – Fantasies, delusions, wishful thinking, willful thinking. You know, the mind is powerful in its capacity. The heart can even be hijacked by dreams and great ideas. So how do we know? How do we trust? How do we, how do we cultivate this accuracy in our work in altered states? This is a huge issue, which I don't think we really take seriously enough. Anyway, you know, thus this radio show. So three basic types of shamanic training programs. There are those that ignore entirely the need to retrain the contemporary mind. They claim that authenticity comes from doing it as ancient people did it, and they ignore the fact that we aren't ancient people. We don't have that cultural context. We have a contemporary context, which is the entire reason we have this contemporary set patterns in our brain. But there are training programs that just say all we need to do is learn how people used to do it and everything else will take care of itself. And they ignore that need to learn to perceive shamanically. So that's one kind of training program out there. There's another kind of training program that recognize the need to retrain the contemporary brain, but they do so through the control of the teacher. So ironically, this is in and of itself – a contemporary mind solution that only propagates the problem because it continues – because it's a power, dominance, control, judgment sort of setup. So it's, it's a, it's a non-shamanic solution to a, a shamanic problem. But anyway, these 
so these programs are programs where, for example, the teacher says, you know, you don't journey for yourself for the first year. I interpret your dreams. I interpret your visions. You know, I set everything up and I'm the final say. And um, there are programs that do that, programs that say, you know, you work with me and no one else, no other input from anybody else. And, you know, while there is value in that, if you're going into more advanced levels of shamanic training and you need to commit, just like with Qigong or anything else, you've got to pick one and commit, granted. But there's also an aspect of not wanting your authority challenged by an outside perspective. When you set that kind of you can't work with anybody else rule up. Okay, so there's that. So then the third kind of shamanic training program is a program that does reconcile the recognize the need to retrain the contemporary mind so that it can properly and accurately use the shamanic skills um, and that engages in trying to do that while people are learning their shamanic skills. And in these programs, the students is placed squarely in the school of hard knocks. You're making choices, you're making wrong choices, you're learning from your mistakes, you're coming to understand through your own experience why you need to do what you need to do, why you need to change your way of thinking things, why you need to change your assumptions, why that thing was a projection, not a vision, why you projected that in the first place. You know, that, that, that it, it throws the student into a kind of learning that is messy in a wonderful way. But it is messy. It's not as slick as 18 months and you're going to get your certificate and you can go out and be a shamanic practitioner. You know, if you're going to pay attention to the transformation of your mind while you're learning your skills, you can't do it in 18 months because we don't change that fast. We don't change our fundamental core belief system that fast. So in this third kind of program, the student is placed in this sort of school of hard knocks kind of training with their own helping spirits. So they're working on their intimacy with spirit, on their relationship of trust and authority with spirit and how are they going to work with that power. And they're making mistakes and learning from them. Um, But they're also in that sense then learning from their choices, their assumptions, their interpretations. And um, in that sense, also owning the process more thoroughly, I think, personally. But these are the kind of the three types of training programs out there if we're looking at this questions of visions, illusions, and where do we get to, how do we get to authenticity. So in this, in this third kind of training program, they are somewhat more rare, the ones that recognize the need to retrain the brain and, and approach that as they are also learning shamanic skills. And this is partly because these trainings, these trainings are more rare, partly because they are initially less satisfying to the student. Um, that frankly, I mean, to put it very simply, they require too much work. There's too, there's too much looking deeply at the self right in the beginning while they're watching their friends in the 18-month Become a Shaman training programs out there, racing ahead of them, talking about all their fancy, shiny, new shamanic skills and hanging up their shingle, and they're good to go, and wondering, you know, why is this other person mucking around in their emotional stuff and, and learning about clearing their own mental set patterns, you know. And, and so it's, it's challenging to offer that kind of training because it's not as satisfying initially um, for the student. It's not like, woohoo, I got this new shamanic skill and we had this great transformative adventure and now I have this new shamanic skill and I'm, you know, and we're just out there blasting through all these great shamanic adventures. Like I've always said, all the shamanic learning is fun. It's great. And it's transformative. But there is nothing I have encountered anywhere in my life shamanically that happened on the scale of my shamanic initiation. It's just a different scale of experience. And so transformation's fabulous. Love it. Not enough. Right? And so it's not enough to make it happen all by itself. So because these programs are not initially as satisfying, they're also not as lucrative for the teacher. So consequently, teachers are reluctant to go the distance to offer this type of teaching when the exchange of energy just isn't there. Right? Because there's just not a huge number of students making it um, financially feasible. 
And these programs require much more of the teacher. And you also have a very steep rate of attrition because of the demand on the student to keep looking at themselves, to change the way they think about things. Now, the cycle teachings, the four-year program that I teach, definitely fits in this last category. It is not the most popular shamanic training out there by any stretch of the imagination. It involves very small groups engaged in shamanic transformation and fun, just like all the other programs. Um, but there's also an extremely high expectation of practice and commitment directly after the first gathering and and a very high expectation that you will go home and live these skills and it's a big set of skills so it's a big challenge and it's not a negotiation it is an expectation that this is what it means in other words the agreement is this if i am going to continue to teach you shamanic skills which will give you incredible power to affect the world you will turn into a person that I can feel confident unleashing on the world to have those skills. That's the agreement, and it's a deep agreement. So, but the purpose of this whole situation, as challenging as it might be, uh, is very clear, that if you're going to use shamanic skills, which are extremely powerful in changing reality, then you need to do it accurately. So understanding that one aspect of authenticity in shamanism is understanding the difference between a vision and an illusion, whether the illusion is coming from complete fantasy thinking or ego projection or fear projection. This is a very challenging aspect of shamanism, very, very challenging. And it's sad, frankly, to see how many people are out there thinking they're being trained as shamans not, and they're not even approaching this, not even looking at this at all. So let me offer a really simple example of this from early in my shamanic healing practice. So while I was working with a young woman, I found a soul part drowning. Not unusual. However, the literal interpretation of this in the journey didn't feel right. So in other words, in the journey, while I was connecting with that soul part, it didn't feel right that this woman had actually literally almost drowned when she was a little girl of this age. So, but on top of that, the image of this little girl drowning wouldn't go away. So as I checked my accuracy, my um, illusions versus my vision, the vision just kept growing stronger and stronger. That experience in the journey of this little girl drowning and, and me drowning with her, you know, just kept getting more and more pronounced the more I challenged it. So there was clearly this energy of the soul part there that was ready to be retrieved that was having an experience of drowning. And so this is this juncture of possible distortion, Right? Uh, so I could have gone into doubt about myself as a practitioner, which I do regularly, right? So I could have said, oh, I must not be doing this right. I must be making this up, um, and, and begin to find some way to mitigate or move away from this, um, soul part that's clearly drowning with a woman I know for a fact has never had that experience. So I could go there, which would be a distortion of the situation. A practitioner could just stick with that literal interpretation and share that with the person and just say, well, obviously you don't remember it or something like that. Um, But what that does is it undermines the client's feeling of the rightness of the soul part. Right? To, to give them this interpretation that is not accurate, you know, that, that you drowned when you were seven and this soul part got lost at that time, that would be not an accurate interpretation for that woman. And so while she might have received the soul part back energetically, there would be a part of her that would be going like, no, I didn't. So is this part really mine? You know, so it creates this doubt in the integration uh, for the client. And then the other thing that can happen is a practitioner can just start making shit up. And I hear it all the time. People don't do the work to accurately understand their own journey and they just start making stuff up. Personal projections, personal issues, whatever. Crazy space aliens, you know, this, this like wild stuff 
to make up for the fact that they haven't done the personal work necessary to simply be accurate in their own journey. So the issue here isn't about whether or not you can journey or whether or not you can find other people's soul parts um, or get clear about some energy that needs to be extracted. That's not an issue of authenticity. That isn't the challenge. The challenge is in accurately interpreting what you're experiencing in that altered state so that the person that you're working on the behalf of can actually experience transformation in the fundamental state of their energy and then they can understand and feel a kind of rightness about what's happened so that they're they're able and willing to integrate the experience and that as they integrate it, the whole experience becomes more about um, memory and familiarity and not so much about um, the experience of the loss, in this case with the soul loss. So the important thing, if you're going to work shamanically, is to ask spirit um, to move in your journeys with complete confidence in the intimacy of your relationship with yourself and with your helping spirits. And then when things get confusing, ask. So back to this example I was sharing about the woman. Um, so, in, so I asked. And what the helping spirits helped me to understand is that, um, that yes, this child was drowning but not in water. And so in explaining this part to the woman, she immediately said, responded to it literally, but I never drowned. And I said, I understand that. Um, which, of course, confirmed, confirmed my sense in the journey that that little interpretation wasn't correct. So I felt even stronger then in sharing this other thing that Spirit had shared. So I asked her if she was aware of her father grieving. Because what the spirits had told me is that it wasn't water, it was the emotional energy of her father's grief. I didn't know anything, they just said her father's grief. So I asked her if she was aware of her father grieving. And then this huge story unfolds about the death of the child before her in the line of siblings. And that, and that child before her had been the son the father had always wanted. And the child had died in, at childbirth. And the father had never gr- really fully grieved the loss of this child. And um, even later on down the sibling line, when another son finally did come along, you know, the father just could never show up that he spent his entire time with all of these children drowning in his grief over this loss of this first son. And so he just generated this sea of grief the whole family lived in. And that made complete sense to her. And so the soul loss was about the part of herself her father never saw, who kept trying to reach him in the sea of his grief and to love him. And be loved by him. And she just, his grief was so overwhelming. And this part of herself just drowned in it. So there are, so my point in sharing this really simple example is this is one of the first journeys that helped me to understand how critically important interpretation was. That the literal and obvious interpretation was not correct. And the more I forced it, not forced it, but the more I tried to clarify that, the more the same image returned. So the vision was correct. But the issue of authenticity is the interpretation of it. So there's gazillions of training programs that teach shamanic skills without attending to the retraining of the contemporary mind. And there's no need for me personally to contribute to that that pool. There, there are countless opportunities for that. And frankly, pretty much anybody can journey. Right? So the issue for me, obviously, that I care about is this whole interesting issue about truly true authenticity in your work. So I'm interested in people um, that are actually wanting to shed the entitlement of their contemporary life and their contemporary set patterns for something that is fundamentally, in my way of seeing things, it's just my opinion, but they're fundamentally more interesting and unique. I mean, what's so great about this way Americans look at the world? 
as far as I can see, it, it doesn't work so well. Right? There are aspects of the American spirit that I'm utterly and completely in love with. The pioneering spirit, the innovation, the creativity, the capacity when we do it to totally embrace diversity and just get down to the project together and not worry about the fact that people are different. I mean, we have amazing capacity here, but the dominant um, mental set pattern is still so deeply rooted in the old story and rooted in separation and rooted in, frankly, a, a, a way of viewing the world that is the antithesis of a shamanic view of the world. So Mask of Illusion and the Authentic Self, which is the beginning of my training program. So that began for the first time in either 1991 or 1990. I can't really quite remember. And I've offered this retreat almost every year since. And so this year, Massive Illusion is offered in August in Oregon. And you can register at the lastmaskcenter.org from the calendar. You can register for that now. Uh, The registration is open and the class is very small. So if you would like to join me for this and really look at this issue of authenticity in your life, then sign up. So um, what I see now after all of these years leading this retreat with the same helping spirits, same set of teachings, but different people year after year. What I see now is that the spirits are saying very bluntly, more and more bluntly, or maybe I'm just understanding it better now you know, over 20 years into it, that journeying is really not enough for us as contemporary people. Just learning the journeying and learning the skills is really not enough. That the spirits are saying um, that that's not, it's not that that's good or bad, that it's not enough. They're just simply saying that your minds are trained to see differently than your ancient shamanic ancestors. And you need to learn to journey and to retrain your minds. And that this is what Massive Illusion, that name for that workshop, I finally, you know, come to understand that that's what it really means. That's the, what, what the first year is about, is retraining your mind to see these layers of illusions that you have cast in your life. And to understand, to take accountability for the fact that you are generating those illusions. It's nobody else's fault. At this time in your adult life, you are the illusion generator. You wear the masks. And that the the beginning of this training isn't about rushing you into learning shamanic healing skills, but it's rushing you into learning the skills you need to strip yourself of those masks. And in particular, those masks that you actually identify as being who you truly are. So one of the first things that we learn is to sense the difference between illusions and the dreams you've used to seduce yourself or the stories that you use to diminish yourself. And so these are the first things we do is to sense the illusion as something other than what is authentic for you, even before you know what authentic is. It, you know, in a sense, it's like dating, right? In dating, we don't so much learn what we want, we more learn what we don't want. And we still don't even know necessarily what we want, but we certainly are learning quickly what we don't want. It's kind of the same idea (laughs) that you're learning um, what is an illusion. And what is shocking about the first year is you begin to discover that almost everything, waking and in altered states, is an illusion. That we are massive illusion generators. And that we need to dial back and learn to dial back and learn to release those aspects within ourselves that generate these illusions. And that is, for me, the most shocking thing of the first year for everybody who does it is the realization, the humbling realization many months into the first year that pretty much everything, waking, sleeping, journeying, dreaming, is illusory. And that I have a lot of work to do to retrain my mind to have a true journey, to receive a true vision. So first and foremost then in this training program is after learning to journey is not learning to use journeying to do healing. Because... I would have never been able to know that the little girl was not drowning in actual water 
because in the journey she was drowning in actual water. If I hadn't been able to sense on my own personal truth cord in my own body that that interpretation of the journey was, in, was not truthful, was incorrect, was inaccurate. And so foremost in the training is the attunement of the truth cord and the connection of that cord with the earth and sky so that we are aligned with the truth that is greater than ourselves. So here's my point. Pretty much every shamanic cosmology is going to connect you with the earth and sky. But for most people, they just do that by rote. It's kind of like a big so what. It's just how they used to do it. And there's no functional understanding of why that's important. So for many, this is just no more than repeating a memorized invocation, a memorized way to greet the sun, a memorized way to work with your mesa, versus actually having a functional understanding of the use for us of this connection between earth and sky. So even more than being a set of teachings that retrain your mind, it's a set of teachings. So this first year is a set of teachings that gives you the skills in, a different, in addition to journeying to continuously retrain your mind. So as you move deeper and deeper and deeper into your shamanic life and your shamanic practice, you're able to continue to craft and refine the set patterns in your mind to become more and more and more truly free of contemporary convention and aligned with a shamanic view of the world. And then that's what your mind sees because that's what you've prepared it to see. And that gives us a capacity to see solutions to the problems in our contemporary life because we see the problem differently. In the same way that we see a cold as a bacterial invasion, um, Chinese medicine sees it as clearing, as stagnation clearing. No? It's just different ways to see the problem and with a different way of seeing the problem – you approach it, then the, the creative arrival at answers differently. So these are the skills that I think are necessary if you're going to be in a shamanic training, whether you're guiding yourself with spirit or in a training program, that will allow you to actually become a practitioner who can discern the difference between vision and illusion. Because if you don't try to do that, your journeys could be either, could be both simultaneously. It's very, very important discernment to cultivate in, in the beginning. Um, uh, well, it's a very important discernment to cultivate, period. It's particularly important in the beginning so that you don't um, find your energy being led off in problematic directions. So this, these are kind of the skills that I think, well, that spirit has shown me are important to have. Okay. So the first um, is about retraining your very contemporary sense of entitlement. As, as Westerners, we, we, no matter what, it's like we just breathe in this sense of entitlement to everything. And we need to exchange that for an accurate awareness of our responsibility in every day to manage our energy at all times. And um, we need to show up. We need to be present. Um, but we don't get to own everything. We're not the boss of everything. We don't get to have everything. We don't get to have whatever we want whenever we want it exactly the way that we want it all the time. It, it, it's an unsustainable expectation for life. Okay. So the skills that we need to cultivate to transform that aspect of the kind of set pattern in the contemporary mind is um, an understanding of your energy body and cultivating the dynamics of your energy body so that you are choosing to be grounded and cultivating that. You're choosing to have boundaries and cultivating that. You're choosing to be connected to the earth and sky and cultivating your truth cord. That you are choosing to work with your chakras and to um, Make sure that your chakras are not um, available to other energies, that they are yours and that you begin to clear them. So this is all about um, 
taking responsibility for your energy body because any distortion in your energy body, which would be there because of unresolved issues from the past, will distort you in your journeys because it's your energy body that's engaged in the journey. So the other thing is a connection to some kind of daily altar practice. Now, there's a lot of trainings that do this really beautifully, but there are a lot of trainings. I mean, I, I never got any connection to this in the two years I was at the Foundation for Shamanic Studies in the beginning of my learning how to do things. Not a, not a clue. There was a need to have anything other than a tuna can with a candle in it. Now, the fact that all you need is a tuna can with a candle in it is, is a great piece of information to have. You know, all you need is an empty pill bottle on some rocks and you have a rattle. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that kind of simplicity and innovation. But my practice didn't really ground and get traction until I understood the need to place my skill-based practice into a cosmology and work that cosmology at my altar every day to put myself in that world as it was defined by the spirit energies that are present and to live in that world. It's critically important. And then another piece is clearing, is once you've got an energy body, you've also then introduced to this history of energy that you've not been accountable to in yourself that needs to be restored. Uh, It needs to be cleared so the integrity of your energy body can be restored. So in, in, in Massive Illusion... This is all part of the very first week. This is huge changes in life when you go home and begin to apply these to your life. But these are the practices people learn and they're expected to integrate into their life in the very first year so that they have a foundation for things that come after. So let's see what are a couple other things. So the other thing that's important in any training program that's going to help you actually discern the distinction between illusion and vision is um, retraining your relationship around death and physical life. So one of the things about journeying is, is it teaches us to come and go and it helps us to detach from the physical world as the only reality and the rational mind as the only interpreter. And so that's a great part of journeying. But you have to be sure you're actually doing that as you're journeying. Um, Another important skill is um, changing your attitude about your body, that there's not this need to escape your body, but you're beginning to go to your body as a source of wisdom, particularly about healing. And for you to access your body's wisdom about healing, you need to begin to clear the backlog of energy that the body carries. And there's also the wisdom of the spirit body in learning to discern Um, vision from illusion by taking action to see what transpires. In other words, working with your journeys from a high-level journey through the um, journeys that unfold from there until you get to an action and taking it and seeing whether that was all about illusion or whether that was a true vision and the actions actually affect change in your life. So that's a really important part of beginning to learn to journey and transforming your mind's opinion about the physical world and the rational mind being the only interpretation of reality. You also need to be retraining your mind around the body and this lie of separation. So it's really important not just to journey but to learn to go to the physical body for an understanding of what needs to release, what needs to be surrendered, what needs to go, what needs to be sacrificed, what needs to die in effect so that um, I have the energy and the resources to give life to the things that truly matter to me. Um, There's also a huge piece in the beginning about learning to trust our intuition. And And I don't mean deciding that your journeys and your intuition are the same. I mean learning to cultivate a relationship with both because they'll actually give you different information if you tune into both of them deeply. And then finally, the other thing you need to retrain your mind around is magic or the way that the helping spirits make the impossible possible in your life. I don't think that much about magic because I actually respect magic in terms of um, a kind of a Wiccan practice as its own school of wisdom that I actually don't really know much about. So I don't, I don't personally in my life call it magic, but it kind of is. 
right? I just think about it as making the impossible possible. And, and that piece is understanding when are you at a juncture in your work that you need a ritual? When are you at a juncture in your process that you need ceremony? In other words, not doing these things by rote just because it happens to be the equinox. Not that there's anything wrong with doing work on the equinox. But ritual and ceremony are, are medicine, are used by indigenous practitioners um, to do specific things all the time that has nothing to do with some sort of rote sequence with a calendar, but actually has to do with making medicine, right? making transformation happen. Um, and then the other thing about this learning to make the impossible possible through our work with spirit is also coming to understand because we've realized most of what we're getting is illusion and not vision we start to recognize how much we're actually engaged in manipulation in life we've got our energy involved in things where we have no permission to be and we start to understand how to pull our energy back and be more responsible and um, really start looking at why do I have this need to change other people why do I feel this need to be the healer the need to help others and to really investigate what that's coming out of so it's important the important thing is that each of these skills affects whether your altered state vision is a vision or an illusion. And so if all we're doing is learning to journey and basically having great shamanic romps and transformational experiences and just learning to do healing and not delving into these things, we still have no idea whether we're having visions or illusions. And we're not cultivating the mind and preparing it to be discerning. And to discern the difference between fantasy and reality. So, what is important then is to retrain ourselves around the basic universal truths. Because those truths become our beliefs. Now, okay retrain ourselves about basic universal truths. That's a really huge thing that I just said. So an example would be to retrain yourself around are you going to continue to believe in separation or you're going to train or are you going to retrain yourself around the universal truth of oneness. So then that universal truth becomes beliefs, the beliefs then involved into principles which are then meant to guide our actions. But for most of us, we need to learn to discern that and see because our actions are largely motivated by our template of fears, our template of judgments and shames and things that we carry from childhood. And that these are a great deal of what actually is motivating our actions. So it is our work um, in the cycle training, the one that begins again in August, is to expose, to surrender, and to release this fear template and the judgment and the shame and to begin practicing shamanism oh because if you begin to practice shamanism for yourself and then for others without clearing this template it is ultimately damaging to yourself and potentially to others um, for yourself there can be a rising quality of hopelessness and frustration um, but for others there is the issue of misinterpretation and that um, can be really damaging for a client. And so it's very, very important for us to understand our responsibility here. So taking action in the unseen world is essential to the practice of shamanism and it is what sets the shaman apart from the psychics and the mediums and the priests and the other energy healers that the shaman's actions um, may be taken on an individual level, like retrieving a lost soul part, or a communal level through ritual or ceremony, um, like performing hunting magic uh, to assure a successful hunt. But the point is the shaman is actually taking action in the unseen world, moving energy around. So the accuracy of interpretation of, of what is seen, quote-unquote, in the unseen world is critically important. Because 
it's going to change things here in the physical world. And this is why the cycle teachings focus first on reshaping the individual. Our primary focus is that each individual is able to accurately see reality to then craft a good question. And we can do that when our past, uh, we can't do that when our past is left denied and hidden within ourselves. We can't see reality accurately. So we can't even actually craft an accurate journey question. So then the next thing is that we're able to accurately see a non-ordinary reality, to accurately experience the journey without our contemporary biases and illusions. And the next level is that we're able to bring our own experiences back fully from the journey and interpret them with accuracy, without projection or bias, and that we're able to craft from that a true path forward. And so we focus on this because everybody needs to be able to do this to be responsible as an adult in life. We don't focus on this in the first year because we want to train great shamans. We focus on this because we want to be responsible adults. We want to be spiritually mature. So regardless of our soul's purpose, accurately interpreting uh, is the difference between being able to create a fulfilling and meaningful life and the sad feeling that there must be something more at 45 years old or whatever. So... When one is clear in the self, then they can be clear in seeing reality around in its beauty and its ugliness. And that allows a person to then be clear in the journey. When someone has reached that state, when they have trained their mind, the making of a shaman is a simple step through the next threshold of initiation. So thank you everyone for listening here today. Next week we're going to continue this conversation about authenticity and we're going to be looking at this sort of root or validation of authenticity and how it's actually tied to our relationship between life and death. So I want to give thanks to the ancestors for hanging in there with us and particularly for joining us here today. I give thanks for the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. Thank you everyone for listening.